like is there a space for black life beyond resistance like is Ooh. there a place for us to exist um where our existence isn't tied to the rejection or the objection of something else like what wow. is where do we build our belonging and our being Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I'm joined by my dear friend, Rose J. Percy. Rose has a Master's of Divinity and is a contemplative theopoet with a background in justice-oriented education and ministry. Rose writes affirmational prayers and poems for weary dreamers. Her work engages theopoetics, mysticism, identity, vocational discernment, trauma, and theology. Rose started Dear Soft Black Woman, a podcast and community space for Black Women Plus to inspire and celebrate flourishing beyond the strong Black woman myth. She also writes affirmational prayers, poems, and grounding reflections through a newsletter called A Gentle Landing. She's someone that I've learned so much from and really cherish the fact that I get to call her my friend and have her in my life. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig News Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Rose J. Percy. We met in the year 2017, 16, one of those was, great years. I think it was 17. 17, because, 2017. Yeah. I was invited to speak at a, a breathe retreat for Eastern Nazarene College. To this day, I actually don't know who that was for, just generally for any student that wanted to get away. Is that what it was? I believe so. Yeah. So I just My remember. Memory's fuzzy. Yeah. Well, what I remember is I'm sitting next to a professor that I was just meeting for the first time who was part of this retreat in some way. And we were just waiting for everyone to arrive. And you were the first student to come over and just sit and you just laid your head down. Like you... It's like you were already in relaxation mode or you were trying to. I get like my first experience of you was you were exhausted. Wow. Well, (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad glad I could say I've been consistent. (laughs) Well, whether you've been consistent or it's your reaction to a whole bunch of really good reasons for why you'd be exhausted. Um, I wouldn't say that you've always been exhausted in my presence, but that was my first experience of you that you were just tired. Mm. And then I don't know, we must've communicated a little bit. We didn't, we must've connected pretty well that weekend. I don't really remember. Do you, I don't know whose memories. I remember a little bit. Well, so I'm trying to remember exactly like the timing of that breathe retreat, because I know it was cold it was winter. Yeah. And I know that that like 
was months after I had been to Ferguson. Um, yes. For a, a school trip. And like, that's the kind of experience you have where like, it just changes you. Like you just, you don't come back the same. And hmm. um, the professor who led that trip was a black man, theology professor. He had already moved on to another school. So like at the time that I was still at ENC in that semester, I was like exhausted and carrying like all like the weight of like all these reflections um, from my studies with that experience in Ferguson. And then also feeling like I'm just here by myself, just like floating around. Um, and when you were doing the breathe retreat, I remember like hearing you talk and and saying like, oh, finally, someone who's saying things that sound like like they, it just made sense. Like I wasn't like I just remember like resonating and being like, yeah, I should talk to that guy. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Because yeah. there was one point there was one point where I was talking and I said something about Black Lives Matter, because I mean, this is this is early 2017, which means we were still in the mm -hmm. throes of Donald Trump just getting elected. Um, yeah. We were in, you know, 2016 was all kinds of wild in this country. Um, and I said something about Black Lives Matter and your hand like you, your hand went up. And the rest of the room was quiet. And I, you know, I know Christian colleges in particular, especially predominantly white ones struggle with racism in ways that we we'll probably acknowledge a little bit more as we go on um but it was like oh okay you had been quiet the entire time i hadn't really connected with you you uh, like when you sat by us you didn't really say much so i was curious how you were taking in a lot of this to be honest i was watching you because you were i don't remember how many people of color there i I'm pretty sure it was very few. Um, and so to see that response was like, okay, there's, there's some kind of like connection that was made there. And then we definitely chatted from there on. And then I don't even know, you ended up interning. We built a church together and you know, the yeah. rest, the rest is history as they say, the rest but we, is history. the rest is history, <laughs> but like that connection of, um, you've meant a lot in my life and like in a pretty significant way and you've taught me so much <laughs> and mm. i think that there's there's something uh there's been something that i as i've reflected over the last three years about not being in church anymore not being a pastor anymore the way that things went down at mm. my church just reflecting on the relationships that have formed me over the last five to ten years and yours is definitely one that has formed me so so grateful for you in so many ways and um i'm really glad that we are reconnecting yeah likewise dave i i would consider that moment in my life to have been like a very like formative time and to have met someone like you at that time who just like you believed in me in a way that i hadn't yet believed in myself mm. and like I hadn't at that point encountered enough like mirrors um, and affirmations to name like the ways I was built, the things I'd experienced, what I wanted to do in the world. And you were like, you saw, you saw beyond where I was at that moment mm. um, and were able to speak life in ways that, I don't know, that just animated me 
to uh, to believe in myself. And I think what's been interesting, yeah, I just I just keep coming back to. I keep coming back to this this thing that you said to me in, in, uh, as we're getting to each other. Because I think we ended that retreat. Um, the professor you're talking about gave us both a ride back. Um, that's right. That's right. Remember, yeah. We stopped okay. at a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. And you were saying like, I'm sure they're going to be like churches lining up to like, you know, to have you work for them. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I don't know if that's true. And it's funny because like you were like the first person who ever said something like that to me, because in my experience, like when I, when I came to ENC, my goal um, eventually became to like study religion and to go into the academy. And even though I had done ministry and continued to do ministry during that time, I didn't feel like there was a space for me in a church to do the work that I've cared the most about, which incorporated like and centering on justice. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember being in these classes with these professors, um, with few exceptions, who like when I would articulate things and be like, yeah, I know you're talking about ministry like this, but can we imagine it like this? And they're like, hmm, that's interesting. Never thought about that. And I'm just like, oh, mama. Okay. <laughs> you know, and <sighs> so it was hard to imagine like, oh, is there a world where like I could be thinking and doing these things somewhere? Mm. Um, yeah. And so like, I felt like through, through meeting you and like the words that you spoke over me and like the ways that you supported me gave me access to like a plethora of relationships and opportunities to grow and to learn and to like affirm like my giftings. Now I look at myself and I'm just like, wow, like I can't believe this is where I am now because I like back then <laughs> I had like no vision of what the future was going to be like. You know, what's it was weird? just like, I need a rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, well, first of all, likewise, same, same. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause you saw me in a way I needed to be seen. And also I remember so many occasions where we would wrestle with what does it look like? Like, what does it look like in a church setting? Because when you, when you're bringing something that's not explicitly like worship music or preaching, or just like the standard week to week Bible study mm -hmm. thing, you're like, no, no, no. I, I want it to matter Monday through Saturday too. Yeah. in a way that we didn't really experience in church or apparently your professors in college didn't either. Um, and that imagination was something that I remember us ruminating over a lot. Um, and I wonder, do yeah. you have, do you have new ideas about what faith looks like uh, in a way that maybe you didn't back then because you were in the throes of learning it? And like yes. some things connected or didn't connect, which was fine. You know, we always talked about that. Like this might not be the thing. This might not be the thing. Yeah. Have you, do you have new ideas? Hmm. It's What's a really small question. Like, a small question. You know, I just gonna, I have this like master plan to change the world. <laughs> I'm just waiting for, for the right um, team to come along. And um, I think what's interesting is like the things you've named, like leading worship, preaching, like those are things that I know how to do that I have done. That you're very good at. Doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I think like one of the things I've, I've struggled to figure out is like in the midst of all the things that I know that I know I want to do and love to do, like what holds them all together, what drives me. And if anything, like, like I've always been a philosophically minded person 
in an exhausted, like traumatized, anxious body that's mm. prone to illness, um, you know, melanin blessed, all of these things, um, all of these things influence how I am seen in the world and how I show up. And for the longest time, I didn't feel like I had, and I feel like, I didn't feel like I had, and I thought the vocabulary was important in order for me to survive, to find and to name all of those parts of myself yeah. and why, you know, it was significant for me to show up the way I did. And that's like, that's what happens when you're in predominantly white space. Like you end up privileging language and being able to communicate the whole of yourself through words over wow. just being. Um, and I think um, in terms of like the, the new pathways that I'm finding, like I, like my philosophy is to like create spaces of gentle landing. Mm. And like at that time at that breathe retreat, I remember I was going and like when I was in college, like opportunities to serve were always like, uh, uh, they abounded, like it was everywhere, but opportunities to rest. Like I had to like literally run away a retreat to rest. Like I had a single room. My philosophy was like, if I'm in my room, this is my space, this is my time. Because like, as soon as I leave my room, suddenly like, because, you know, of, of my identity and the tools and also like having the role of a student chaplain at the time, I felt this intense pressure to serve everybody and to be <laughs> available yeah. to everyone at a moment's notice to carry whatever it is that they wanted me to carry. Yes. And so when I went to that retreat, I remember be, like being asked to do things like, hey, can, we, can you lead worship one night? I was like, no, if I'm going to this thing, I'm only going to rest. I will do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I could tell that it bothered people. Like of I could course. tell like people were uncomfortable with the presence of a black woman resting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, because you're also yeah. supposed to be, especially at that time, you're also supposed to be a face of diversity for the mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're yeah. always being used, always mm -hmm. being used up, not, not, yeah. be, not for your own benefit sometimes, but for the benefit of an institution. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that. And you and felt I, it. I mean, you used to name that like you, you knew it at the time. It wasn't some kind of like, oh, I wonder if there, you knew what was going on. So for you to choose yeah. rest uh, when you knew you needed it, especially, especially because so much of evangelical Christian culture is just about doing it all the time, just like constantly mm -hmm. putting yourself out there to the point of mm -hmm. exhaustion. Um, that was yes. pretty powerful. And even rest is framed as, oh, like you take a break here so that you can be more productive right. when you are working. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like there is no resting just to rest. Like it has to have a goal of like aiding you in the work that you are doing. Yes. Yeah. There oh. was a lot of that. Hmm. That's interesting because, <laughs> yeah, we, well, we used to talk about, um, uh, I don't know if you were there at this point, but we ended up having a series on Sabbath. Um, mm -hmm. And we used Heschel's book. And yeah, we just talked about it from a different vantage point. And we were all trying to figure that out because at most, you know, Sunday was like, you don't go to restaurants, you don't do this or that. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. there's a bunch of attempts at trying to to do it in a way that just never felt authentic or I don't know, yeah. the, you know, celebrating the Lord's day. I don't know, but really all, all it ended up being was like this pause before you go back because you're supposed to get rejuvenated kind of thing, not rest for yes. the sake of rest. 
not rest for the sake of rest or rest for the sake of reimagining. Like yes. I think about how often, I mean, like for me reading Heschel's book, um, and I think you were, you also used, even though I don't think I was there, um, Brueggemann's book as well. Yeah. Yep. As resistance. Yep. Yeah. When I, when I think of what it means to prioritize rest, like rest opens up the space for us to re reimagine what our world looks like and what, yes. you know, what we have to do. Like, I don't know. I saw these memes around, um, like they started the year where it was like, now I have to go back to work after two weeks and I don't remember what I do. <laughs> like, what do I do? What's my job? Like, <laughs> so true. And I, and I think like some measure of that is true. Like we should be able to access the rest that we need. So when we return to the things and the routines that we have established for ourselves, we can question them a little bit and be like, oh. why do I do this? Well, that's what is my role. What is <laughs> That actually makes me think a little bit more about why you were exhausted. This idea of Sabbath as resistance really resonated with me because I see Christian, I saw and still do mm. in terms of the way that I think about Jesus as a mm. resistance movement. And you had that, like you were, you were already in resistance mode. You have to be as a black woman in America, right? So of course you're exhausted all the time because you're constantly in resistance mode, right? Like you're just Ugh. resisting, you're resisting the, the, the pull to do something that's disembodied. That's, you know, like all about words, the, all of that is resistance and not necessarily with the imagination part able, because you're just surviving. Like, do you feel, oh. no, go ahead. You, what were you about to say? I'm thinking about that because one of the things that I, one of the challenges I've tried to center in my studies now in seminary is like, is there a space for black life beyond resistance? Like, is Ooh. there a place for us to exist um, where our existence isn't tied to the rejection or the objection of something else? Like, what wow. is where do we build our belonging and our being? <laughs> and Sorry. so, um, which is why, like, for me, it was important to to frame rest as vocation versus as resistance mm. because i think vocation like is about calling and invitation to dignity belonging affirming um and and just like naming what has always been and what has never like been able to be um conquered and capitalized and um like stamped with the conquest of whiteness and white supremacy and all that good stuff <laughs> good stuff quite good in stuff in quotes <laughs> <laughs> But Air that quotes. becomes that becomes um, the challenge, right? Because even in in all the institutions that we have been part of or that you've been part of, it's hard to not it's hard to discern where whiteness is being centered or not centered because the entire Western world is is has a foundation of whiteness through Christian expansion and imperialism. Mm. And so you've had space now to to relearn, reimagine what is not that so are you able to sort of quickly in all and this might have happened before you were in school but as a white guy i'm not always able to see that immediately i have to listen to to mm -hmm. my to people who are like no no, no that's whiteness too mm -hmm. is is it more and more clear as time goes on where you're like this is the kind of space we can create that doesn't center whiteness like what does that look like for you now at this stage yeah, I feel like um, the challenge you've named of the way that the world is framed, like I remember just like reading about Afro-pessimism being like, oh my goodness, mm. is it really 
that bad like <laughs> is the world really this bad and is there really no other alternative and no yeah. other way and um wow i think for me like what grounds me is to focus on bodies and like i like resma mannequin's language of like bodies of culture like we're mm. all bodies of culture and so as bodies of culture like when we focus on shifting and changing our own actions individually and collectively we can affect change on a wider scale. Um, and for me, uh, I, I don't know, it's just been interesting to think, like when I started off learning about justice in ways that framed whiteness, it's always about trying to redeem the ideas, the principles, the policies, um, and then like practice formation, like they, 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 they take like a secondary level. And in fact, like, if you can't explain in words why this practice matters, mm. you don't like, it doesn't legitimize it enough for like people in white spaces of justice right. to like want to move and change things. Like you got to give them the right book. They've got to take six months to like, let it seep in. And then like maybe two years later, well, you're tapping <laughs> into something different. You're tapping into something that um, is some is triggering a thought in me that, like I've never been much for just reading unless I'm studying. Mm. Um, and I, then I do it well, but I just, I don't do it in my free time because I think I'm an experiential learner more than anything else. Um, I'm like an empath. So I listen, if I'm reading, yeah, I'm like, Oh, cool. Interesting. I noticed that evangelical culture, at least like intellectual evangelical culture is all about what you read that, you know, or just in general. And I think we're Ooh. noticing that that doesn't change anything. Like it doesn't like move a person in a way that they really like are forced to confront their whiteness or their demons or whatever you want to call it. it for me, it's always been relationship. That's like this primary mover. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't see that before. Now I see it. And maybe not because I read it, but because I saw it or I listened. I think we had more spaces where that were the case where white people were forced to listen without you know, um, the safety of a reading a book in their most comfortable chair. Um, you know, like what, what would that look like is the question <laughs> because the, that requires us to leave all kinds of assumptions about what it means to practice mm. faith or practice community, um, and be open to just following. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that so one of the things I've been, means, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because like I, I kind of I kind of saw it as like you were like laying out these options for like, <laughs> like, like build your own plate kind of buffet style things. Um, and let me just pick up from what you've offered. <laughs> pick it on up. Yes. <laughs> make, make a plate. Um, and I'm thinking about how, like, for me, like the the things I've been trying to reconcile, like since even before college, like when I used to do spoken word mm. and like, because like writing has always been like an important thing for me. And so has reading like, and something about like, if I read a book, like I, it's almost like I'm, I'm being taught and trained by the person who wrote that book. Yeah. Um, right. And I want, I want those words to matter and mean something. And I think that that ties back to like me being a poet. And so being in white space and like witnessing how um, like words are worshiped in those spaces. Uh, it, it does something to you as a writer where you're like, am I contributing to the downfall of civilization? <laughs> 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 Which seems very intense. 
and extreme, but there have, there have been moments where I'm just like, I want to stop writing because if I keep writing, uh, the people will keep reading and not doing anything. <laughs> well, that's the problem because, and, because what you're pointing out is what white people do with it because mm-hmm. it's yes. like that that's not who you're writing for or to. Yeah. So one mm-hmm. of the things I've been working through is like, uh, cause my, my current program is, a, is focusing on spiritual formation and like, and how like narrative and stories like influence who we become, what we believe. And um, just wrote a piece now for my, re- my for my newsletter that's coming out tomorrow um, about like what what it means to be a cultural worker. And mm. like I got this definition from Elizabeth Alexander who talks about cultural work as like the space where you, where the political and the and like meets community and it's not separate. And I think so often in, in, in justice spaces, like it's so hard to discern like where those things come together yep. um, because a lot of people know how to talk things and say things and say, this is the changes we need to make, but don't know how to build community connections and relationships. Right. And I've just been trying to figure out like, how do I do that? And what, what is the place of words in that work? Because like, I can't deny that it's important because the minute that Alice Walker coined her own definition of womanism, mm. she created a community. And she created a way that people could access liberation through words. And so words yes. do have a place. Well, words create, what, um, what so is I it? Think, words create worlds, right? Is that Heschel's quote? Yeah. Uh, his daughter. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's beautiful. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, it, I think that as someone who talks a lot, <laughs> I know words matter. <laughs> um, I think mm. it's, it's the over-reliance on trying to convince white people about what we need to change through books instead of through mm. some kind of connection to like real justice. Um, yeah. I just don't think it works. It doesn't work. I mean, it's got to be coupled with, it's not an either or really in the end, but mm-hmm. it's an over-reliance upon those things. And I guess I, you know, I'm curious. Um, uh, it seems like always the case that when we're talking about faith, like you just brought up, Faith, politics, culture, all that stuff, they're all seen as separate things for whiteness because whiteness Mm. doesn't allow for that stuff. So what you're imagining is the kind of community that is created through just the reality that all of those things are what it means to be human. All -hmm. of those things, like culture, politics, spirituality, it's all together. And a, a community that doesn't separate those things is what you're on the hunt for or trying to create i would say i'm it's it's what i'm already a part of yeah <laughs> and like, i'm yeah, finding language more. To, to name it um yeah i i've been really thinking about i'm always thinking about like like the uh introduction of um gustavo gutierrez's um a theology of liberation yeah where he says that liberation theology is formed in reflection on praxis and um, and so like, I've just been thinking like, what does it look like for me to think of words, like not just as a space where we dream, like what is possible, but where we also can like, look back and say like, this is what we're doing. And this is what, you know, yeah. like we can use words to describe what we have done, who we are, who we have been. Um, yes. And yes, I have like over the past couple of years, like formed community in spaces like online and even in school with folks who understand and feel this like same yearning for like rest and 
and units and spaces outside of um like outside of the oppressions that are supported by the institutions we're a part of mm. and we just support and love each other and like most of the times it's just it's just a text or it's just a group chat or it's just like a hushed yeah. conversation in the corner but like when i think about it i'm like this has been church like this has yeah. been spiritual formation and like i get to name those things because i'm reflecting on what has happened and what i've done um and i and i think i don't know i think that's that's where I, that's how I'd want to live moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really hard for me now to be in conversations with people where like, when they like tell me what it is that they're doing, it sounds so abstract. And I'm like, you're one human. Why are you <laughs> organizing your life like this? <laughs> like, one example is like, yeah, I'm starting this blog and it's meant to connect all of the people from this diaspora together. And we're going to write this and liberate that. And I'm like, who's we? Like, who is this we? <laughs> right <laughs> like who is this we who are you connecting with on the ground and like <laughs> and how can you and like it's good to have these aspirations and these dreams but like i i think for me like as a person who is philosophically minded mm. with the body that i have i always have to remember how to like to bridge um to bridge the gap um from like what these transcendent ideas mean and like what the material realities are right. and it's okay. Oh, it's a lot of work. So I take a lot of naps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny that you say this because I get question. I get that question a lot. Like, why have a, why do you have a podcast? Like, what's your goal? It's, and then mm -hmm. I think, well, maybe I'm not like a goal person. I've never really been that. And I had to be with the church and all that. But now I'm like, Ooh, people hate, people hate that. You don't I have know. any goals. I know. You have any aspirations? What are you doing? I'm like, exactly right. And <laughs> I'm like, honestly, my answer is like, cause I want to like, mm -hmm. because this, because I'm trying to discover what it means to be in community now after church. So like, you know, I fall under, I hate, I hate this word and forgive me for even saying it, but ec the exvangelical thing, because I fall under that. <laughs> like I <laughs> typically within Love that, that is majority atheist that mm -hmm. like most of the people have moved from one place of certainty to another place of certainty. I still say I'm a person of faith who's been deeply formed by the life and teachings of Jesus as I understand them. That's, that is my sentence for how I express faith. And this is an avenue to try to figure out what that looks like in the world. That's it. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to build an empire here. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like fill, figure out what the next thing, like, I'm just doing a podcast. Cause like it, it's, we talked about this, like, it's a great way for me to have community. And, and so yeah, that's why I do it. And I think that there's, when you talk about those kinds of aspirations, when someone writes a book and they're like, I'm going to change the world for Jesus. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. so if you're a writer, okay. So if you're writing, mm. if you're writing something, which you do a lot and I please, you know, you have a sub stack, you have your newsletter, everyone should, you know, get mm. on those. When you're writing, do you have a goal? Is it like, is there something that you're trying to accomplish that's outside of just this is an expression of Rose J. Percy. What's going on for you? I think mostly it's it's just an expression of Rose J. Percy. Yes, <laughs> it's really, and yeah. I think I've given my I've had to give myself permission to let it be that. Yeah, and I've had help from friends along the way. Like one of my best friends, 
Carla Mendoza is an Afro-Peruvian uh, woman living undocumented in the U.S. Mm. And she says, when I write, I write to Carla Mendoza, an Afro-Peruvian woman who's on, like she writes specifically oh, to herself. That's so good. Um, and like, and through the, and through like learning from her and others who have, who have felt their experience, who have, who have seen how the ways that their experience hasn't been named or prioritized in other spaces or writings like to be able to add your voice in a way that invites abundance where there's scarcity is like beautiful mm. so that's pretty much it like i i write to affirm myself and i write yep. to express i express um a truth about the world or my world my perspective um and i write to invite i i remember like when i used to blog I felt like there was like this pull to write because I'm like convincing someone about something. And then I had to pause and like stop doing that for a while because I'm like, what, who am I writing to? And that's yeah. a question I, I always center in my writing. Like, who, who am I writing to mm. and with? Um, because I also believe, at least with my newsletter, I write to the community of folks who read it and who are seeking gentle landing. Mm. And so the ways in which I prompt them is always to point them back to themselves and offer a space of reflection. Um, because like the last thing I want, and I think I have had to learn um, from doing ministry with you and others is that I don't ever want to set up a system of spiritual care that depends on me <laughs> oh. solely on me. And I think that has been like one of the ways I've liberated myself from setting things up that way is yeah. Inviting people with questions and, also offering the questions that I ask myself. So, yeah. I love that. Um, but people are looking for someone to look to and you're one yeah. of those people. And I, I do think as someone who's blogged, who's podcasted, who started a church and who's always been upfront, like talking and writing, there is, there is this sense that I always have that I'm trying to make sure that I understand myself and that I yeah. communicate clearly what matters to me. And sometimes I'll put something out there that gets like very little in terms of resonance or something like that, but I'm super proud of because I'm like, yes, mm. I expressed that thing exactly the way I wanted to, you know? Yeah. And, and I, that, mm -hmm. that feels good when you don't have, have to do it when it's not like, oh, yeah. it's not your job. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just recently like changed things up on my newsletter because there are a lot of people starting Substacks right now. And are they? <laughs> there's a there's a boom. Like, and I think it can be good. It can be a space where if if we're intentional about it, we can uplift voices that would not have the opportunity to publish anywhere else and things mm. like that. But for me to set it up so that it's not I don't know that I don't, so I don't feel like I'm like part of this machine. Like I just, I just said, okay, everything I post is free and you yeah. can access new posts for up to two weeks. And then after that, it's archived. And if you want to see the archive, you can pay for it. You're like paying. that's, <laughs> yeah, that is the setup. And I will post when I want and when I feel like <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> that's so good. And yeah, with social media, it's a little bit harder because um, like the way I think about it, it's like, despite the fact that, in a, in a lot of ways, like being a spiritual entrepreneur, mm. like means like, yes, I, I get to, to, to work for myself or something like that. I work when I want and I have set hours, social media in a lot of ways is a connector to people who can reach out to me and things like that. But the yeah. ways in which the algorithms are set up, 
and the obstacles that are, you know, in in the way of your stuff getting to the right people. Yeah. It becomes it's it becomes a boss. Oh, you so you think you're your own boss? No, actually, you work for all these platforms that host your things. <laughs> exactly. You've got <laughs> to figure out you've got to figure out a way <laughs> to make them be like, oh, this is worthy of putting out to a larger right. audience. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. The gig economy is still <laughs> part of the other economy. Exactly. And capitalism is still real. And maybe, yep. sure, you can buy the four hour work week by Tim, whatever his last <laughs> name is. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> you're working 24 hours and you're not resting and you're, <laughs> and you're, <laughs> you know, the, stressed the- about the future. <laughs> yeah, all of the things. Like yeah. it's hard enough to yeah. just be human. Never never mind to take a community of people's burdens on your shoulders. Which as some <laughs> you know, um mm-hmm. it makes me think about this this weekend is um and Martin Luther King weekend. Okay, so it's like Martin Luther oh, King yes. Day tomorrow, right? So as a civics teacher, you know, I spent a good chunk of time talking about him. And my kids learn about him in school. Obviously, all they learned about was the I have a dream speech. But like, as we know, um, America has co-opted a person that they hated and turned him into a hero. They did that instantly with him. Um, What I'm curious about with you is that like this civil rights movement, a lot of the movements around justice, especially for black folks in America, is a never ending struggle. Or it can seem that way, right? And as someone who feels that on a, uh, in your body and who feels it as a participant in movements to bring about justice, um, how central, like, what do those rhythms look like for you? Because like Martin Luther King, they said he had the heart of like a 60 something year old when he died in his thirties, you know, these people that are just living, breathing, fighting all the time. Like, what is that? what does that bring up for you now? Yeah. Um, I think since the beginning of our time working together, my, my main concern and questions were always around the well-being of those who fight for justice in the world and who are caretakers, community, you know, justice workers or things like that. And so, and, and we had a lot of people like that in our church. So like we were always thinking through like, we are here to create a space where, you know, like you are empowered to go back out and do the work you do and find the rest you need. And so I think that still carries on hmm. um, in the ways I do my work or hope to do my work. Yeah. And um, yeah, I got to to study Dr. King in a class, like study his leadership. And I think when you study King in depth and you know the things that influenced him and in the making of his life, you realize um, like it really wasn't about him. Like it wasn't about, and what is, what is interesting of like with what we do with history, um, like we've, we've created narratives and those narratives inform stereotypes that are continually harmful to black bodies Mm. and like, like positioning King as this like Messiah figure. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people who do justice work assume that they must take on that kind of role and that's because of how we've told the story in a way that yes. centers him and we lose sight of the community that helped create him and the ideas that informed him. Um, and I think about mm. the place of like Howard Thurman in his life, like when he was um, 
when he experienced his first uh, life-threatening, uh, uh, you know, moment with so someone like stabbed him with a letter opener or something yeah. he was in the hospital and he almost died. The doctor told him if he had sneezed, he would have, he would have been dead. Like that's, yeah, it was really bad. Wow. And Thurman visited him in the hospital and said, you need to take a break. Mm. You take some time and rest. And, and he did, he took a little bit of time off and, mm. and it was in that time off that he wrote like, uh, where do we go from here, from chaos mm. to community? Um, like that space of rest allowed him to reimagine and to move forward with something that like could at least begin to ask questions beyond his life, like for people to reach to, because he was always conscious of the fact that he he could die at any moment. So yeah. it's just interesting to me how we lose so much um, in centering, centering the wrong things, like, you know. Yes. But yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. good. He was very much anytime you see writings of his or interviews, he's always pointing to other people um, mm -hmm. in a way that's like, this is not this is not about me. But what you just said mm -hmm. made me think of James Baldwin, who moved to France um, yes. as a gay black man who is a prolific writer, um, mm -hmm. well known voice in the movement. I uh, was like, uh, I'm not safe here. I'm going to take care of me. Yes. You know, and yeah. I'll participate on my, on my terms. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Even on a, um, on a contemporary level, like Ta-Nehisi Coates yeah. leaving Twitter. Um, and I mean, he's still, you can still access his writings in a number of places. And in fact, I think I have like a, like an Amazon alert that like, lets me know whenever he publishes something, <laughs> that's he's awesome. always publishing something. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, I just feel better. Like when I'm not there in that space where mm. everyone is criticizing everything about you and your, your, your body is wired to react to things in ways that are like harmful for at least like regulate, like self-regulating um, your emotions and your nervous system. Mm. Like, so he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't do social media and he found his own way to like create rest in his life so that he can, um, and I don't want to frame this as like rest and, you know, as a pathway to be more productive, but I yeah. think rest helped right. him to reimagine the work that he does do. And that's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the people that are the most, um, ah, mo that inspired me the most are in some way disconnected from the machine, right? You mm -hmm. know, if I think about church history, you've got Martin Luther, Martin Luther, who challenges mm -hmm the imperial state but he becomes his own imperial state very problematic and then you got the anabaptists who are like de separate who are just like we're not pledging allegiance to anybody those are the people that i'm always like who where's that group <laughs> you know who are just like distant enough but just are able to speak into the truth of the system you know that's yes. that's always what i'm sort of trying to find and there's so many voices there's just so yes. many voices like i have to give a shout out to my girl, Julian of Norwich. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yes. Julian of Norwich. I just, I mean, I remember reading about mystics and Christian tradition classes and just being like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like these people that like went off and like thought of like, they, you can't overlook like the, the effects of asceticism and harm of the body as a way of spiritual, you know, finding right. spiritual, um, I don't know. And yeah, you can't overlook that stuff. No, but there's something um, beautiful about like the ways that the mystics, 
and we still have mystics today. I identify as a mystic mm. and like to create that space to encounter God outside of a system and to what, what, what I love about Julia of Norwich is the way that she writes about God's love in mm. a time where the church, you know, they had like, I'm not sure my timeline might be off, but like the Catholic church, like in like indulgences might've been happening around that time. But there are yeah. ways that in order for you to access freedom liberation, you had to do it through this institutional structure that they've set up. And she's right. like, I'm she, and she felt like for her to write about it, it, like she was risking something. But as she wrote, she said, I'm writing this because I feel like this is what God is calling me to write. Mm. And, um, and I don't say it lightly that I feel like I have, personally had a vision of god showing me how deep and great his love is for us and mm. and um and she would like describe god's love as like this like hazelnut enclosure like enclosing around us protecting us and keeping us safe mm. so, and like the phrase like all will be well all manning of things will be well like she was writing during um you know not only was she in self-isolation, but there was like a pandemic happening around her. Yeah. And she's in the space where people are looking for hope. And what the hope that she does find is this hope that wasn't necessarily endorsed by the institutions of the time. And I just think about how so often um, the, the language of certainty yeah. and the language uh, of like doctrines, creeds and things like that help support institutions and that's why, you know, we have wars of people fighting over the legitimacy and supremacy of their ways of, of being. Right. And like mystics and contemplatives, like I, I firmly believe like that those who are committed to a role of, of discerning, you know, what is true, um, what is deeply true, aren't disconnected from the world, but they are deeply connected in understanding of that reality that we all face. Mm. Um yeah. Mm. And so when I think of like someone who uh like does that, I think of I think of Julian Noise, I think of Howard Thurman. Yeah. Um, and I have other friends that I that I'm in contact with who do similar things where it's like when we are saying these things that we believe is so deeply true about the divine, you know, the divine and what is um true about love and justice and peace, like it will challenge these systems. Um, yep. And it will challenge, and it will challenge the legitimacy of the certainty that so many of us are fighting for in violent ways. Mm. Um, but it's all out of love, and it's all with like a deep understanding of the risks involved with naming those truths. Yes, like it's wild. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> a, a understanding of love is to, uh, you know, people will always say, "I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter." But to to love mm. is to fight. Like to you're if you're a lover, you're a fighter, you know, and that's what you're doing. And everyone's fight looks different, you know. Your your fight looks different than, Ooh. you know, Tanahasi Coates's fight. It looks different than my fight. We are all of our fights look different, but if you, you know, if you find yourself in a place where your your gut reaction is to protect a system, mm -hmm. uh, even if you even if it's a something that means something very very deep to you. Like Christianity has found itself in this place of constantly trying to protect itself from the onslaught of people who have named injustices. Mm -hmm. And what really it comes down to is like just acknowledging that it sucks. Like that we, that we did bad things <laughs> that like, there's mm -hmm. been really 
bad stuff and continues to be bad stuff, what's the harm in saying, yeah, that's the case. You know, like there's, there's no perfect institution. We want to be a part of doing justice. So let's name yes. those realities. Um, I can't help but notice you got a Lecole. Your shirt says Lecole. Is there anything else it says on there? <laughs> it says um, L'Eglise Lecole Lacai, which uh, is um, all Haitian kids know. Those are the three places you're allowed to go. Um, church, school, and home. <laughs> I remember you saying this term to me when we were working together. <laughs> did you get this shirt made or did you find it? No, I found it. I found it online and it just, it just made me laugh. So I had to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Haitian part of you is something we haven't discussed yet. Um, mm. And just how much that experience of the world being the, ch I mean, you were born in Haiti, correct? Yes. Or were you born here? I mean, you had the child of Haitian immigrants, um, your experience is formed by that it's not you know it's a major part of who you are um oh, yeah and how that puts you in the conversation uh the american conversation uh this like mm -hmm. uh is a different space you know and what is that like what does that look like for you it sounds like you've got friends from all kinds of you know experiences you said the woman that um is deeply inspiring to you that you're connected to is yeah. afro-peruvian is that what you said yeah you know it's so what yeah. does that kind of look like is there a shared experience that you resonate with that you all connect to or is there something that you each sort of appreciate about each other that's like that curiosity that invites community mm. and movement toward justice hmm well i mean i feel like there are definitely like lots of different labels i feel connect different people in my life to me hmm. um and in terms of being haitian american like i think about i think about a lot like the fact that like i was born in haiti but i came here well before i could understand why we were coming here yeah and so i had to form an understanding of myself of that which like the earliest iteration of it was like please your parents make this journey worth it mm, <laughs> wow um find success navigate these systems in a way so that you can preserve your culture um, but also negotiate parts of yourself to survive in these spaces and so mm. i think part of what i've learned and what i continue to try to learn is like how to hold all of the differences in me like without um, I don't know, without feeling like I have to let anything go. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I, I felt like I had to do in white spaces was like, I had to like turn up certain parts, turn down other parts. Like, it's like always constantly moving around with like this, the soundboard where like you mute, <laughs> mute your, mute your black scent here. Wow. <laughs> turn up your code switching here. <laughs> like you do all these different things to like EQ to the right environment. And wow. yeah, I think one no of the things I've, I've, I've learned, right. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find my way back to what I call uh, creolization. Um, Ooh. I don't know, not this, I call creolization, but I get that term from um, Edouard Glissant, who was a Martinican philosopher. Mm. And like, the, like, as you know, Haitian Creole is, mixture of like French and Spanish and African languages. Um, 
Like mm. there's bits of indigenous words that survived in there. Like, wow, it's a I didn't know that of things. Wow. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is like, it's set up to be like the, because of colonization and the standards, Western standards, French is set up to be the national language and Creole is kind of like what you speak at home. Yep. You know, it's like where you speak casually or whatever, like it's a lot of patients don't even know how to read Creole. Cause it's like, it's just a spoken language to so many people. Yep. Um, and what's, what I love about learning about Creole and Creolization from Glissant and like ways I've adapted it for myself is that like within Creole is evidence of cultural memory, mm. um, survival, beauty, like even like the violence of the language of words merging together and blending and refusing to stay still and refusing to be pinned down. Like that's the beauty of, of Creole is that it, <laughs> like he talks about creolization as like this like there's this like freedom to move from the margin to the center like and continually confuse and like i just love that stuff like i just oh, get like ooh, in my, I, I get I... in my nerdy <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i do pocket, too like oh my gosh <laughs> i guess i do too because yeah, i just got so, chills while you were saying that i love that yeah, so that's but... what that's what i want to live um and um i didn't get to the language of creolization without getting through like an embrace of liberation theologies but also like theopoetics which is like the space that holds a respect for the ways that um theology is lived in our bodies and in the unsaid and in the creative so yeah there's a lot of, of beauty there um but at least when I approach identity and the sense of my sense of an identity like I think before it would have been and then the, the evangelical the evangelical framework is like what's your story yeah. And your story always has to end with like this, like everything's perfectly tied together and who yeah. I am now and the purpose and my walk and ugh, my walk. Ugh. And like <laughs> all those things have to make sense for that moment where you're, where you and this person are bonding over coffee at the, you know, whatever yeah. coffee shop in town. Like it has to like, and I, and what I've learned is like, wow. I don't have one story. I have stories. And sometimes I don't even have stories. I have a page with three oh. words on it and that's a poem. Like, <laughs> and learning to learning to embrace this reality that like the ways I can form an understanding of my identity can exist outside of this like story structure that leads to a perfect conclusion every time has just been liberating um so yeah I think like when it comes to what it means for me to be to be Haitian American um to be bl a black woman in the U.S. like I don't I, I I do not live with the express goal of trying to reconcile what all the different experiences mean in one conversation <laughs> why we Period. were supposed to wrap it up we were supposed to wrap it up today Rose. we were supposed to figure that all out ah, i think that is like what makes you an artist you know mm. you the like you rose but you in general a person an artist is someone that's mm. endlessly curious about themselves and mm. the way that they experience the world like you mm. seem to like as a mystic, that's like curiosity is an essential component of what it means to be a mystic. And oh, absolutely. to wonder about who am I now is not just like one answer, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's influenced by 5,000 different things. And I yeah. think that's beautiful the way that you just described that, like, I don't know, it's always evolving. Everything's evolving. The mm -hmm. conversation we have mm -hmm. now will definitely be different. 20 years from now, it'll be different tomorrow. Mm. Um, mm. And yes. that's a beautiful thing.
Yeah. So now you're, um, it, to wrap things up neatly, Rose, um, uh, no, actually, uh, now as someone who's finishing up a second master's degree, you're doing, you're mm-hmm. writing, um, there's probably a lot of wonder happening for you right now. <laughs> like a lot of curiosity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What is, what is something that you sort of are wondering about as you traverse this new path ahead of you? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's hard to say I could narrow down just one thing. <laughs> You're supposed to, because, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, at least in this moment, I'm always wondering, I'm like, when I, when I look out into the world, my eyes are always looking for beauty and, and trying to illuminate and make sense, I make sense of, but like illuminate and fill my life with beauty in this way that feels good. Mm. And yeah, so yeah, I've decided that that's a better motivator for me in my studies and in the work that I do than anything else. Like I'm not really motivated by money, although I need it to live. Um, please pay me if you can subscribe to that newsletter. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I need it to live, but I write that newsletter because like, I'm trying to capture these moments of beauty and share them with people and to reveal the beautiful um, and like so much of the justice frameworks that I've inherited um, for me, like they're groundless. If, if we don't consider like, why did that person feel motivated to write that? Like, why did, why did it matter that we live this way or do this thing? And it's, and like comes back to these visions of, of beauty. Um, so in my wonder, one of the things I practice to support my wonders reading poetry. Um, and I also have this collection of, uh, that I love called black imagination curated by Natasha Marin. And it's just like, if anything, like it is the post 2020 post George Floyd post, um, I don't want to say post BLM because I want to believe that BLM is extends beyond just an organization and a moment. Um, but it's definitely post a moment, like, and it captures a, a feeling that so many, um, so many black people feel right now, which is like exhaustion, fatigue, um, overstimulation, and in that weariness and racial fatigue, uh, like she asked these three questions, like uh, um, imagine a world where you are safe, valued and loved, and how do you heal yourself? And there's another question, but that first one means a lot to me. And in that asking, like the the collection is like people responding with essays and poems. And some are saying, this is what I imagine. This is what I see. And some are saying, I can't even imagine that. This is my reality. Mm. Um, And to be, have a collection that respects like the spectrum of, um, you know, leaning into hope or embracing an understanding of criticism, cynicism and criticizing, um, the world like holding all of that is just so beautiful and so as much as i can i just i don't know i i want to lean into more of that making space to ask those kinds of questions imagine a world where you're safe valued and loved and if we can answer that question and dream up um a, a response maybe we could live it maybe we could have that world Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. 
I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.